Good morning. So good to see each one of you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Last week, Pastor Mike uh, taught us a new song that simply, the title is Tell the Story. It's based upon Psalm chapter 8 and talks about um, how great and majestic our God is, how he's made everything and how he thinks of us and how he has provided for us. And so this morning, as we uh, sing that, before we sing that song, I'd like you to stand and let's declare Psalm 8 together. And then we're going to lift our voices in song with the song that Pastor Mike taught us last week. All right, here we go. Let's read. O Lord, Lord, our Lord, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who who have have displayed your splendor above above the heavens. From the the mouth mouth of infants and nursing babes, you must have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you have thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. You have crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.
Let's go ahead and let's pray as the ushers come forward for this morning's offering and prepare our hearts for this message this morning. It's a powerful one, and it's very, very timely for for what's going on in Israel today. God, I thank you. I thank you for your decisions and your provisions. Everything that we have and everything that we are comes from you. There isn't anything as a child of God that doesn't come through your hands first, and you distribute according to your will to your good pleasure, and to our need. And in response, God, we want to acknowledge your provision in our life by giving back to you a portion, the first fruits of that which you've given to us this week. As we honor you and acknowledge that you are the giver of life and that much more, may you receive these offerings, and may these offerings be used for your kingdom purpose, not just here in South Columbia County, but also throughout the world, through our missionaries and such. So, Lord, we would pray that you would use these resources for your kingdom's sake. 
And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all I hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my praise. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Brought me out and set my feet on higher ground. So here I stand, you are my God, your faithfulness, my solid rock.
Who will never 
powerful. When you think about the hand that has been dealt to you, the hand that God has determined for you, it's God's decision for you beginning with your life. It's God's decision that you live. It's God's decision to live where you live at the time that you live. It's God's decision in all of the aspects that are there. Many people will look at their lives and they'll say, well, my life is reduced to chance, uh, to luck, or to these other things. Within this, it's, it's a difficult aspect because if it is reduced to chance or to luck, then the question is, will you ever be satisfied with what comes to you based on chance and luck? But if you can wrestle with it and understand that God is sovereign over all and, it, and God's decisions are sure, then everything that, that is part of your life comes through the hand of God, according to His will and to His purpose, according to His decision. And then the challenge is, will you be satisfied with it? If you were to look at the totality of your life and, 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 and say, am I really satisfied with my life? Satan doesn't want you to be satisfied with your life. Satan wants to give you this aspect of God made a mistake. Or you deserve more. God is, is, is not looking out for your best interest. Or he just, you know, started you going and took his hands off and let everything just happen. We wrestle with our lives. We wrestle with our destiny. We wrestle with all of these things. We wrestle, most importantly, with satisfaction. How do we find satisfaction? How do we find this life? This flesh is never going to be satisfied. Just understand that. In this flesh, in our, our nature of sin, we will never be satisfied, just like hell and death will never be satisfied. But, the godly can find satisfaction. The godly can find peace. When they accept that everything that they have and everything that, that is in them comes through and comes from the hand of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-9, through 9, Paul would write to his son in the faith, Timothy, But godliness actually is a means of great gain. 
when accompanied by what? Contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we can take we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these things, we'll be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a snare, and many fools or foolish and harmful desires will plunge men into ruin and destruction. When you are not satisfied with what God has brought to you and what God has given to you, then it creates this internal drive to go get more. That's how, that's how all these media people, if you ever think about it, how Google and all that, what do they do? They say, you're not going to be satisfied until you look like this or until you buy this or until you have this and all these other things. And so you start chasing a dream, a vision, a vapor. You start trying to grasp at butterflies that are not really there. If you saw somebody that was just doing this, what are you doing? I'm catching butterflies. Dude, there's no butterflies there. Oh, yeah, there are. People chase all of these things because they're not satisfied. And, and so when we look at this, we, we come to a place in Israel's allotment. Here in, in Joshua chapter 16 all the way through 19, and no, we're not going to read all of it. It is all about the last seven tribes getting their allotment, where God is giving to Israel. Now you think about it, within the context of this, whose idea was it that Israel would become a nation? Was it Israel's nation idea, or was it God's? It was God. God chose Israel before Israel was even Israel. God went to Abram and said, look at Abraham, I like you, and I'm choosing you out of all the people that I could choose. I'm choosing you. And out of you, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation. Abraham faithfully obeyed. said, okay, God, I'll go with it. And then he has some kids, and then, and then we know that Jacob would have 12 sons, and they would go off in... Now you think about Joseph. Joseph, born into this family, hated by his brother, sold off into slavery. That was his lot. That was what God chose for him. Why? Because through the pain and the sorrow and the suffering, it would move Israel into Egypt, so that in Egypt they would become a massive nation. And you say, well, couldn't he have done it another way? Yeah, he could have, but he didn't. And he builds this great nation out of slavery. And then brings that nation out of slavery and says, I'm going to give you this land, the land of Israel, the same land that's at war today. Why? Because it was God's decision. But it's also God's provision. And he gives them this land and he says, take this land. They say, we can't go into this land. There's giants. He says, no, you can. No, we can't. Okay, go walk around the mountain for another 40 years and we'll come back. We'll try it again. Have you ever had that walk around the mountain? Yeah, it's a long walk. And they come back into the land under Joshua and they get the land and they go in and they're conquering the land. Two and a half tribes, they, they stay on the other side, Transjordanian, and then the other tribes go into the land, and now they're dividing up the land. Why? Because it was God's decision and God's provision to give Israel this land to make them a great nation. Why? Because it was through this nation would come the Messiah. As we studied last week, the plan was much greater than even the nation of Israel. It was for all mankind within this. 
And God would keep His promise all along the way. And as Joshua is separating the land, he would cast the lot. And you say, well, that's just luck. You just cast the lot. You, you, all the land was divided. You just cast the lot. You get what you want. No. Why? Because God's in charge of the lot. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from who? The Lord. Why is Israel at war today? Because it's the Lord's decision. And if you read prophecy, you'll, you'll get a glimpse of it. And you say, well, that's horrible. Yes, it is. And so is sin. And sin has to be dealt with and it has to be judged. And God is working through it and working it out. God determined this land and this provision of the tribe as He determined today. And the same is true for the church. The church is not Israel. But God has a plan for the church. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Here's that henna clause, so that. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Stop and pause for a moment. And ask yourself the question, God, why would you choose me? Why? Do you realize that from eternity past, the eternal God destined you to exist and chose you? chose you for such a time as this to be an object of grace an object of mercy to be a people that's called unto Him to be long to Him in relationship you are not an accident you are intentional your time, space and where you live and the people you live with all intentional some of the pain and the suffering that you go through, God allows. Why? Because He is perfecting you. Now, we can choose to enjoy it, or we can choose to reject it. But God is a good God. And we should never blame God for, for the horrors that we go through and the sin that we go through. Because God's working out everything according to His will and good pleasure. Jeremiah 29.11, a, a favorite verse of mine. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. You say, well, Carrie, why is it so hard? Because sin came in. And people tend to love their flesh and they tend to love sin more than they love God. So what do I do about it? We need to learn to live within what God's given us and enjoy it and be satisfied with whatever God has given you and wherever God has placed you. You want to find true joy? You want to find true satisfaction? Be in that place that, that where you say, thank you, God, instead of saying, why, God? Be in that place where you embrace what He gives you and enjoy it. 
God intended you for to, to enjoy your life. So my challenge to you is this. As we walk through these passages, how can you not repeat the same mistakes that Israel made? And how can you learn to enjoy your life? We're going to read through Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18-20. to 20. Just a few verses that are here that will be up on the board. Let's stand as we read, because we are actually going to end up in these passages. But to get there, we're going to go through a little bit of Joshua. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 18 to 20. And these are the writings of Solomon, who is the smartest guy that, that ever lived because God made him that way. It says this, And here is what I have seen to be good and fitting. To eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun, during the few years of his life which God has given him, For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he also has empowered him to eat from them, to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life. Why? Because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. God, as we take a look at these passages May we be a people that have a glad heart. May we embrace your decision and provisions in our lives and and really rejoice in them instead of worrying about what we don't have. Teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to go rather fast. We're going to cover Joshua chapter 16 to 19. And we are not going to read every verse. Because it reads like a trust deed, so it mentions a lot of cities and a lot of places that are there. What we're going to see in this first narrative in chapter 16 is the sons of Joseph, who are Ephraim and Manasseh, and they're going to complain about their lot. Have you ever complained to God about your lot? Yeah, we all have. And, and their complaint is, God, it's not enough. And, and they do it in a really weird way. it's really weird. You know, it's kind of like they're almost trying to make God feel guilty for what's going on. Have you ever tried to make God feel guilty for what what you got? They do within this. Now, to understand a little bit, Joseph was blessed by his father Jacob with a double blessing. Jacob loved Joseph, we know, right? Because coat of many colors and and all of that within this. And yet Joseph would receive one allotment that would be divided between his two sons. Within this, So when you go through the 12 tribes, there isn't a tribe of Joseph. There's Ephraim and Manasseh. Do you follow? So within this, it's the two sons that are there within this. Now, we know that half of Manasseh settled on the Transjordanian side um, with, under Moses. So you had, you had half of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. They get their inheritance on the one side. The border of Joseph would be Ephraim and Manasseh, which is where we're at, and we studied Judah last week, is, is here, it's bordered by Dan, and I want to show it to you here. So you have West Manasseh, that is all of this land here. This is the Jordan River. This is the Sea of Galilee up here. Ephraim is here. Then you have Dan to the south, and then you have Benjamin that is here, and this, this area here is Judah within this. So they're going to be declared all of this land within this area. This area is also known as Samaria today within this. 
and they have a, a huge land that is there. Ephraim's lot is covered in Joshua chapter 16, verses 1 through 10 within that. And it was the lot that was given to him in 16.1 based on Joseph, and it, the land was spread out. Now, as we read through this, I want you to, if you can, you take a look at verse 10. It says this, after giving a description of this land that is there, in verse 10 it says, But they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites live in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. Now, why is this a problem? This is a problem because, number one, Ephraim didn't embrace the promise of God. God promised and said, I will fight with you and I will fight for you. In fact, he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Within this. So we know that God said a promise, I will fight for you and fight with you. Is there any reason that Ephraim would not run all the Canaanites out or destroy them? Any reason? They didn't believe in the promise of God. They didn't fully embrace it. God said, I'm going to give you this land. It's my promise. And you're going to run them out. I want you to run them out. I want you to remove all of these people in the land. Why? Because when you go back in the history of the Canaanites, the Canaanites were a completely corrupt people. And God gave them room for repentance, but they wouldn't repent. Through natural revelation, they just kept going after idolatry and idolatry and idolatry until their sin had come to the fullness. And while God is judging the people of Canaan, God's blessing the people of Israel. It was never God's intention that the people of Israel would coexist with the Canaanites. He never wanted that. And so within this, we see Ephraim, much like Judah, who compromised. And what did they compromise with? They said, God, we don't believe you can do it. It's too hard. So we'll just take them and make them slaves. And they did, the same way that Judah did, the same way that Joshua did when he got deceived. Uh, but within this, we see that they take a law that God enabled and they manipulated it. You say, well, what law was that? Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 11 says this. In, in the law, it says, If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall become forced labor for you. Within this, what was the law? The law basically said, if there are foreigners that come outside of the land in the process of you living there, and they move into your land in the process from a faraway place, come into your land, and if it makes sense to let them stay, based on what? The removal of idolatry and all the other things. Then go ahead, but they have to serve you as forced labor within that. Well, we know Joshua got deceived by the Gibeonites. And they became laborers because the Gibeonites lived in the land. They pretended to be somebody they weren't. Why? Because they didn't want to be annihilated. But here Ephraim doesn't do that. They take a law of consent and... They say, well, it was too hard. So let's manipulate the law a little bit so it makes it okay. I often wonder what it would have been like if the nation of Israel 
would have completely embraced the whole land as the promise of God without compromise and remove all of the people and all of the idols within that land. I often wonder if they would have had peace within the land because it was God's intention. But they didn't. And the same thing's true for us. When life gets hard, do not compromise the Word of God. When it becomes difficult, God was very specific that they all needed to be disposed. And then we get into Manasseh's lot, chapter 17, verses 1 through 30, or 13. It says, And now this was the lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of the son within this. And so he defines this whole lot, and he defines all of the cities that are there. It's interesting that, that Manasseh gets a whole lot more land than Ephraim. Manasseh was Joseph's firstborn, so he should have got double honor any, anyways. There is something that's unique. If you look at verse 3 of chapter 17, though, that I want to bring your attention. As they're dispersing the land to the, to the different divisions within the different clans within Manasseh, we come across a problem. What's the problem? We have a guy that has only daughters. In verse 3 it says, However, Zelophed, the son of Hefner, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, only daughters, and these are the names of the daughters, and he goes through the names. They came before Eleazar, verse 4, the priest, before Joshua, the son of Nun, saying, The Lord has commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers, so according to the command of the Lord, give them an inheritance among their father's brothers within this. And so what ended up happening is they, the, the gals went, look it, we're not going to get an inheritance. We're all girls. Well, the land was supposed to go through the men. And it would, it would run that way. But when you all end up with girls, they don't get it. So Eliezer and, and Joshua said, okay, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do this. We're going to make the allotment within this. There are times when people will, will say, you know, that the Bible is very prejudiced against women and all this other stuff. No, it isn't. There's a pattern within this. And the pattern is that, that there is a hierarchy that God had established. And so it, was, it would be God, Jesus, and then the husband or the man, and, and then the wife or the woman, and then the kids. That's a good order. But if you get the kids that get above the parents, is that any good? No. So it's, it's hupotasso. It's an it's a order or a structure so that things are done in order. Well, if you take that order and you start making it abusive, that's not right. And so God makes these accommodations so that these women can get the, their land. And so when they do get married and then they do have kids, that their kids will have an inheritance. Understand, the land is special. When you, when, if you were here when we studied the Old Testament... Everybody that got that piece of land, that was their family land. It was to stay with them. If the land was to go away, if you sold off that land for a period of time, the year of Jubilee, you got the land back. Why? It's your inheritance. It's your promise. The land of Israel today is God's land. And so we take a look at Gaza Strip, and we take a look at the West Bank, and we take a look at people that are squatters on God's land that shouldn't be there. And we see all the problems that happens with compromise within this. And so within this, Manasseh is, is getting their land. And Ephraim is getting their land within this. But 
look at verse 13 of chapter 17. It says, It came about when the sons of Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites forced to labor. Why? Because the Canaanites stayed in the land. Verse 12. Ephraim and Manasseh. They got these people there in the land. They say, it's too hard. We can't put them out. So we'll compromise. And that compromise would cost them. I want you to think for a moment about those things in your life that God says, get rid of. And you go back to God and you say, God, but it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too much work. Let me just live with it. Is that dangerous? The Bible says, can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? Try hugging a torch and let's see how that works for you. It's not going to work. These things that God says get rid of, we need to get rid of. And so what ends up happening is it sets them up. It sets them up for failure. And it sets them up for a complaint. Take a look at verses 14 to 18 of chapter 17. It says this. It says, Then the sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion? For an inheritance, since I am numerous people, whom the Lord has far blessed. Joshua said to them, If you are numerous people, go up to the forest, clear a place for yourself. There in the land, and the Pezzarites and the Riphium, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And then the sons of Joseph said, Well, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the valley land have chariots of iron, both those who are in Bethshen and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one lot only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it. And to its farthest borders it shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. So what ends up happening? If you notice in, in verse 14, it says, And the sons of Joseph. Now, Ephraim and Manasseh, they come together because they have one lot. They go to Joshua and they say, Joshua, it's not enough. Joshua, it's not fair. God is not fair. Remember, God is in charge of the lot. God, you're not fair. We are two tribes. We deserve two allotments. How many of you have kids? Have your kids ever gone to you and said, it's not fair? Especially if you have siblings within the family. And they come to you and one gets one. It's not fair. You go get ice cream. Their ice cream is bigger than my ice cream. They got more candy. We do, we do harvest. It's amazing. These kids will come out with like bags of candy like this. And they look at the other one and go, I want that one. These kids will have bags of candy like this. And invariably, every year, somebody steals somebody else's candy. It's not enough. Ephraim and Manasseh, they get their lot. They get their land. They're there in the middle. They're, they're surrounded by Dan and Benjamin. And they're in a good place within this. Manasseh. They're a really big tribe. And they come to them and they say, God, it's not fair. And they blame God. You say, well, how did they blame God? 
God, it's your fault. You've blessed us and you made us too big. It's your fault, God. You gave us too many people. And now, God, you made a mistake because you didn't pay attention to the fact that you made us too big and too many people and you didn't give us enough land. God, you need to redraw these lines. Isn't it crazy, kind of some of the excuses that we give to God? God, it's your fault. No, it isn't his fault. It is God that gave him the lot, not Joshua and Eleazar. And it's God that determined the borders of their land. And Joshua's solution is this. He actually has a couple of different solutions. Number one, within this, Joshua said, you have enough land. We're going to let your land stretch out into the hill country of Ephraim, into the trees, into the forest. But here's the deal. You've got enough land. Go cut down some trees. I'm sorry if you're a tree hugger and that offends you. Go cut down some trees and get more flat land. So you have enough land for your people. You've got enough, but you've got to work at it a little bit. They didn't want to work. They wanted the valley. They wanted more of the valley. And God says, no, you get the forest and you can make it work. In other words, Joshua said, live within your means. Is that a problem in our world today? Are people overextended? Debt at at, at all times high? Always wanting more? If we trust God has provided everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness... Why don't we learn to live within our means? Because we look at there and we say, God, you made a mistake. Within this. The second, Joshua says, not only learn to live within your means, but take control of your land. Well, they got the, the, the Rephium that are in there. Now, if you remember in our study in the past, the Rephium were fierce giants. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, they're described this. It says, The Emmon lived there, formerly a people of great numerous, and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also regarded as the Rephim. But the Moabites call them Emmon, so they're huge. Um, Deuteronomy 3.11 tells us, For Og, the king of Bashan, left a remnant of the Rephim. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead, and it was Rabbah, the son of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits, and width was four cubits. In other words, it was an ultra king size. You got the California king size, and then you got the Rephium king size, which is like huge. And these guys say, God, you didn't give us the best land. You gave us the hard land. What was the real thing? They didn't want to work. They didn't want to work and live within their means to receive the provision within this. So Joshua said, no, go occupy the land. You get what you get, don't throw a fit. And then Joshua does something that's really cool. It's really cool. And this is really good if you're a parent or a grandparent. Turn their argument back against them. They said... Well, God, you blessed us and you made us numerous people. So we need more land. Joshua said, you're numerous people, so there's no reason why you can't go fight them. 
You've got lots and lots and lots and lots of people. Go fight them. Go own the land. You have a large enough tribe. And Joshua stood firm and said, No, you don't get any more. You don't get any more land. Learn to live within your means. Now, we'll get to that in Ecclesiastes. How to do that. But maybe as Christ followers and people that are on this earth, we need to learn to live within the means that God has provided and stop pursuing the things that are out there that God has not provided within us. Because God provides everything that we need. Well, we come to an end of, of Manasseh and Ephraim getting their land, and we come to chapter 18 and chapter 19, which is even a faster forward, of the remaining lands that have to be distributed within this. There are seven tribes left, and I want to show them to you within this. So there are seven tribes. So we have Simeon down here. We have Dan. That's right there. Benjamin, that is right here. Then we have to go all the way up to Issachar. Zebulun, Asher, and Naphtali within this. Now we know these tribes are all the Transjordanian. These are within there. So all of these tribes all need to get their land. That is all part of it, which 17, or 18 and 19 cover within this. But Joshua does something that's a little bit different. As you take a look at and you read through chapter 18 and chapter 19, chapter 18 says, The whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh, set up the tent of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. So it's been taking some time to distribute the land. They were at Gilgal, and now they moved to Shiloh. Shiloh would become a place, the central place of worship. Where is Shiloh? Shiloh is a little bit north, and they would set up, this is called the tent of meeting. So when we go to Israel, this is just south of, uh, or I'm sorry, just west of Jerusalem, in between Jerusalem and Jericho. This is a replica um, of size, shape, and everything of the tent of meeting. So this is what they had to pack around whenever they would meet with God. It was first established in Leviticus, chapter 26, 11, and 12, where he says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you will also walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. And he would set up this tent of meeting where God would meet with Moses. They would continue to meet there with Joshua and with Eleazar to be able to determine the tribes. Now, what he ended up doing was he says, OK, we're going to do things a little bit different with this. He goes to the people and he says, I want you to select three people from all of your tribes, seven tribes remaining, three people from each tribe. Okay, mathematicians, how many is that? Seven times three, 21. 21 people. What are they to do? Chapter 18 talks about the fact that they walk through all of the land and survey the land to document the remaining divisions. What are the natural borders and what makes sense for that? Now you think about this. You're a team of 21 surveyors. Three from each tribe. But you're not picking your land. You're just picking a land. This is brilliant. Because if they knew what land they were going to pick, they would pick the best for themselves, would they not? But if God is setting who gets what land, are you going to try to make sure it's as fair as possible? Because you don't know what you're going to end up with. 
And so, in order to avoid some of the, the conflict that was with Ephraim and Manasseh, it's not enough, Joshua says, okay, you guys go, you set the borders for the remaining seven divisions, and then when you come back, we're going to cast Lot, and God's going to determine who gets what. So they travel around, these 21 surveyors, to draw up all of these boundaries to avoid the conflict. I think that's brilliant. When you think about the kids, and you go to the kids and you say, okay, kids, we're going to have a pie. You get to get a piece of pie. But you guys get to decide how that pie is going to be cut up. But I'm not going to tell you who gets what pieces. What do you think those kids are going to do? They're going to make sure that every crumb is perfectly in line. Right? They don't know what they're going to get. They're going to make sure it is fair. So they go and they do that. And they write it down on a scroll. And they come back after traveling down the land with that. And then in Joshua 18.11, all the lots are cast. And so the first lot that is cast... So yeah, Benjamin comes up, first lot that's cast, he gets his land. He got 26 cities, 11 to 28. The second lot is cast for Simeon, 18 cities. Now it's interesting that Simeon's lot, if you remember, Simeon was down surrounded by Judah. Simeon would get a section of Judah's land, but they wouldn't get their own land. Why? You have to go back to Genesis chapter 49, verses 5 through 7, because Simeon and Levi sinned against God, and God said, you don't get your own land. So the tribe of Levi will only get 48 Levitical cities. Simeon will get a section out of Judah, but when you take a look later on, there is no Simeon. They just get gobbled up by Judah within them. The third lot goes to Zebulun. They get 12 cities. Chapter 19, verses six, uh, 10 to 16. The fourth lot goes to Issachar, 16 cities, chapter 19, 17 to 23. Asher gets 23 cities, chapter 19, 24 to, verses 24 to 31. Naphtali gets 16 fortified cities, which is interesting. They don't get as much, but they get fortified cities, chapter 19, verses 32 to 39. And then you get the seventh lot, Dan. Dan gets 18 cities. And when you take a look at, at the end and Dan gets his land within this, it says that Dan could not drive out the people. And you say, well, Carrie, why is that important? Do you see a reoccurring theme? The reoccurring theme, not taking him out. But Dan really messes up. Dan was not satisfied with their lot. It's too hard. The people are too tough. It's too hard to fight against them. So you know what Dan does? Dan leaves. Dan abandons what God had provided because what God provided was not good enough and Dan abandons that. Jason, if I could get that big map again, please. Thank you. So, Dan's land that, that he should have gotten this is Benjamin. Dan's land was here. Right? He's got Ephraim. He's got Judah. He's got Benjamin. That's here. He's got the coast. But he couldn't handle this piece of land that is here. 
So you, what Dan does is he abandons an inheritance and he says, God, I know that you gave me this land, but you made a mistake and it's too hard to live here. Too many giants in the land within this. And so their whole tribe packed up and went up to the north. And they take a city. They take a city called Laish. You say, well, Carrie, why is that a bad thing? Because the tribe of Dan would be one of the two places up here in the north that would bring idolatry back into the land of Israel. They would be the first tribe that would bring it back in and they started worshiping Baal. When we go to Israel, we go to Dan, we will see the altar that they built unto Baal within this. First Kings chapter 12 28 to 30 says this, So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold, your gods, O Israel, brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and then put the other one in Dan. And now thus became the sin for the people to worship before the one that was Dan. So what the king did is he said, hey, you know what? Let's not go to Jerusalem and worship there because it's too far for you to travel. And you know what? We're not going to travel Yahweh. So in Bethel, which is more in the center, and Dan in the north, they put up these little subsets of idolatry and they worshiped Baal within that. The other thing that I want to point out to you is this. If I can get that map again real quick. Dan was protected. Dan is right here. Is he protected from any of the nations of the north? No. When the Assyrians come in, they would fall. Dan abandoned what God provided as a good thing. Moved away from God's provision. Began worshiping idols. And were taken captive. And lost. We need to be in that place where we accept what God provides and enjoy God's provision. Lastly, Joshua gets his land in verses 49 to 51. It was an honor. Within this, he was honored by people. It says, when he finished apportioning the land and inheritance and support, the sons of Israel gave inheritance to the midst of Joshua and his none. And so Joshua would get the hill country of his land within that. God decides what blessing it is. God decides what we get within this. Now, I told you that we would be in Ecclesiastes, and I want to end with that. In Ecclesiastes, we read, in Ecclesiastes 5, 18-20, Here is what I've seen. It's a good thing, fitting thing to eat, to drink, to enjoy oneself, all of one's labors, and the toils under the sun, the few years which the life God has given for him. And this is his reward. First and foremost, the wisdom of Solomon says this. Whatever God has provided for you, he provided for you to enjoy it. Who knows better what you need? You or God? God. God has given you what you need. He has decided what you need. Ecclesiastes tells us that it is a waste of life to pursue something you don't have. Because you'll never grab it. You'll never get it. 
God has given you everything that you need. Ephraim, Manasseh, and Dan all would come to ruin within this. Verse 20 is very clear that we need to embrace what God has given to us. And not be worried. I love how he ends it because in Ecclesiastes 20, he says, when you're enjoying the provisions of God today, you're not going to worry about dying tomorrow. Why? Because you're so happy with what you got today. Enjoy what you've got today because it's a gift from God. When we read through it, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift within this. Job would write, in his time of persecution, says, uh, says this in one twenty one twenty two. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Note, blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Why? Because for Job, this was his lot. And he accepted it. Was Job honored later? Yes, he was. Did he know he was going to be honored later? Nope. But he refused to blame God for the cards that were dealt to him. Because God was doing something greater. No amount of prosperity can ever drive away dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 6-7. through We'll end with this. Even if the other man lives a thousand years, twice... And doesn't enjoy good things. Do not all go to one place. All a man's labor is for his mouth. And yet the appetite is not satisfied. In other words, if a guy has two lifetimes and a lot of money. He's still going to die. So what should you do? Live within your means and enjoy what God has provided you. And, and say to God, thank you. Thank you. Had Israel lived within their means and enjoyed what God was providing, they would have done much better. You want to be satisfied? Take inventory of what you got and say, thank you, God. And don't pursue things. Live life with an open hand. God put in what you want. God take out what you want. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have ordained our lives. Your decisions are always right. Your provisions are always enough. Lord, in this world, we will have tribulation. You told us that. But we should be of good cheer. Why? Because you overcame the world. God, you tell us in your word that you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. To want more is to fall into sin. That, that appetite will never be satisfied. So, Lord, may we have an attitude of gratitude and receive everything that we have with grace and faith. We praise you and not be anxious for what we don't have, but honor you in all our life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all stand as we close. All my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do. Every song must end 
So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a with grateful hearts that we say thank you and that we worship you. May we have a heart of gratitude and embrace all of the decisions and provisions that you have afforded to our life and live the life that you've ordained, satisfied that it came from you, for our well-being and for your glory. Lead us out this week, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. 
Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.